Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. So today we're going to unpack um, the morality play elements of Dr. Faustus. Um, And we're going to be thinking about what role um, the morality play um, has in influencing the structure of the play um, and in the central messages that we can see. So we have several characters in Dr. Faustus that are clearly um, like taken from the morality play structure, which was a chiefly medieval style of drama. Um, If you remember in this, in the medieval era, the Bible was only available in Latin. And so it was not available in the common language. Now that meant that people couldn't read Bible stories for themselves. Therefore, in the church, they would rely on using drama um, with like the whole village or with the parish in order to make people aware of the famous stories. So, you know, as a regular occurrence, they would put on plays of, you know, Noah and the Ark and the Flood um, or the Passion of Christ um, dying on the cross. Um, And then they would also put on these morality plays, as they were known, which were plays about a Joe Bloggs kind of person going through their daily life with all the struggles and temptations that um, occur. Um, And generally speaking, by the end of the morality play, Joe Bloggs would repent of his sin um, and find salvation. So Marlowe is very much picking up on the morality play journey. And Faustus, it's got to be said, isn't much of a Joe Bloggs because he is incredibly academically able. Um, he's achieved a huge amount. Um, and in, in some ways, the every man or morality plays would show someone who was a little bit of a bumbly fool. But, you know, Faustus doesn't fit in that category or at least shouldn't. However, you could question as the play goes on whether he does just become a bumbling fool like everybody else. But interestingly, Marlow takes these um, characters from a morality play, the good and bad angel, to represent the troubled conscience of Faustus as he goes through the play, making the decisions that he makes. Now, visually, it's a fantastic stagecraft technique to have a good angel on one side, a bad angel on the other, both vocalising opposing viewpoints. Um, From the first moment that Faustus is opening up this um, book about magic, the angels appear. And obviously, the good angel is giving the... um, theologically orthodox viewpoint. O Faustus, lay that damned book aside and gaze not on it, lest it tempt thy soul. And the bad angel is very much vocalising the kind of temptation to Faustus. Go forward, Faustus, in that famous art, wherein all nature's treasury is contained. Be thou on earth as Jove, as in the sky, lord and commander of these elements. So very much like the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden where the serpent offered Eve the fruit and was like, you know, if you eat this, you'll become like God. The bad angel says to Faustus, you know, if you go forward in this art, that is necromancy, black magic, you will be like Jove, as in like like a god yourself. 
And so the good angel and the bad angel, they articulate these opposing viewpoints um, that really symbolise the struggle of Faustus with the truth that he's been taught through the church um, all his life and his desires, which are so strong that he wants this forbidden knowledge and he wants more than what he's got. And then, obviously, as Faustus goes through the the process of, of conjuring up Mephistopheles, making his pact with Lucifer, these kind of spiritual devil characters become increasingly involved in his life. Um, initially, it's just Mephistopheles, that, and he sort of makes this, this deal with, with Lucifer for. But then, as Faustus kind of wavers and begins to think about repenting, it's as if Mephistopheles gets reinforcements. More and more devils come on the stage and off the stage in various different costumes and shapes and forms um, in order to um, stop Faustus from repenting and turning back to God. Now, in the scene where Faustus makes his pact with Lucifer, what's really powerful is that Lucifer um, and Beelzebub, uh, and uh, they're actually visible above the stage area. Um, and that is really powerful at suggesting that the, the forces of darkness in this play seem much more present than the forces of good. Um, it feels as though the good angel is one of very few voices in the play offering Faustus good advice. Everybody else he's surrounded by, Valdes, Cornelius, um, you know, his servant Wagner, Mephistopheles, Lucifer, the demons, they're all giving him the temptation that he can't resist. Um, Wagner, his servant, isn't actively tempting him, but um, given his own sort of dabbling in magic, he's not exactly pointing Faustus away from it. So increasingly, visibly on stage, we are seeing the forces of darkness represented and the forces of the devils. We're also seeing and enjoying as an audience their pageantry. And pageantry is just a staging term for, you know, like big costumes, sound effects, action, uh, lively action on stage to entertain. And this occurs on several occasions, you know, where Faustus maybe starts to waver and Mephistopheles has kind of devil's dance and Faustus is a little bit like, what means this show? Um, um, And the stage directions say, enter devils giving crowns and rich apparel to Faustus. They dance and then depart. So initially Faustus doesn't seem to be that impressed. Um, Mephistopheles' answer is, Nothing, Faustus, but to delight thy mind. Let thee see what magic can perform. And surprisingly enough, his answer kind of works. I think it's a bit of a lame answer, really. Um, and this is this is a really crucial scene where Faustus is writing this deed for Lucifer, um, for his soul. And he's writing it in blood and his blood's congealing. And, you know, that kind of message appears on his arm of homo fuge, fly, oh man. You know, where all the signs are pointing, Faustus, don't do it. Um, and Mephistopheles brings this, this devil dancing around and Faustus is like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is pretty cool. Um, if I can, and he says, may I raise such spirits when I please? And Mephistopheles says, aye, aye, Faustus, and do greater things than these. And that seems to be enough for Faustus. And he says, there, Mephistopheles, receive this scroll. And the next really big um, occurrence where he's wavering um, is in Act 2 when he really 
begins to feel the limits of the power that he's gained. So he asks Mephistopheles lots of questions. Um, he basically finds out that everything he already knew was true. Um, and he starts to get a little bit ticked off. He begins to think, you know, I've made this, this vow, I've, I've so- signed away my soul, and what have I gained? Not a lot. Um, he asks Mephistopheles who made the world and Mephistopheles refuses to answer. Um, he says, because it's against our kingdom, thou art damned, think thou of hell. And Faustus says, think Faustus upon God that made the world. The two angels um, crop up for a little bit of dialogue here about whether it's too late or not for Faustus to repent. Um, of course, the bad angel says, too late. If thou repent, devils will tear thee in pieces, which ironically is what they do anyway at the end. And the good angel says, never too late if Faustus will repent, giving the constant voice of Christianity. But just as Faustus says, O Christ, my saviour, my saviour, help to save distressed Faustus' soul, that's when Lucifer comes on stage and says, Christ cannot save thy soul, for he is just. There's none but I have interest in the same. Um, and then basically conjures up the sight of the seven deadly sins. And it's basically just entertainment to distract Faustus away from these soul-searching questions. Ironically, Faustus says, that sight will be as pleasant to me as paradise was to Adam the first day of his creation. He's so kind of saturated um, in theology and doesn't even realise it. And then the seven deadly sins um, perform on the stage a very entertaining show um, about pride and covetousness and wrath and envy and gluttony and slothfulness um, and and all those things. But what's interesting is that there there is obviously a deeper meaning to these sins is that they're all sins Faustus is committing. And we're watching him as he goes through the play become more and more obsessed with, you know, food and drink gluttony, lust, um, culminating in his conjuring of Helen of Troy to um, to sleep with, um, and all these, these sins that Faustus is falling into. So it's almost, um, it's clearly an allegory, an allegory being um, a uh, performance or a story where the characters represent something else, like concepts. Um, and yet it's also revealing, it's paralleling and mirror- mirroring Faustus's own problems. Now, the final character I want to talk about is the old man, because again, this was part of the morality play convention that a good character would kind of give this appeal to the Joe Bloggs character who's gone off on the wrong way. Towards the end of the play, this is after um, Helen of Troy has been conjured for the scholars, not for Faustus himself. Um, The old man talks with real compassion to Faustus and I have to say the old man I feel the old man is a much more compelling good character than maybe the good angel is he says oh gentle Faustus leave this damned art this magic that will charm thy soul to hell quite bereave thee of salvation Um, and he speaks words of kindness to Faustus he says you know gentle son I speak it not in wrath or envy of thee but in tender love and pity of thy future misery he offers Faustus a lifeline um, and Faustus almost, almost takes it. Um, but the last minute says, you know, um, decides to conjure up Helen of Troy instead. Um, and in his order that the old man should be tortured um, shows his kind of final turning his back um, on the right path that he's supposed to follow. So 
by the end of the play, um, what's happened after that point um, is effectively Faustus has given his soul away. And in the dialogue very much in the rest of Act 5, Faustus seems to view it, his downfall, as inevitable. He seems to view himself as past the point of no return. And the problem is, the good angel and the bad angel don't really change his opinion. Um, in his final moments where different people are visiting him, um, Mephistopheles says, Thou hast no hope of heaven, therefore despair, think only upon hell. And when the good angel appears, it's basically to sort of rub his nose in it. He says, O Faustus, if thou hadst given ear to me, innumerable joys had followed thee, but thou didst love the world. And of course we view the, the throne descending from heaven and the good angel leaving him and the jaws of hell are opening to receive him. And the bad angel again is the one who gets the last word. He says, he that loves pleasure must for pleasure fall. And so with that moral message as it were um the angels leave the stage and then we do watch faustus in his final moments and then finally um he does get dragged away at the end it's a powerful story and even though it isn't the traditional ending we might expect Marlowe does reinforce traditional orthodox Christian theology by saying that if you refuse to repent, then you must face damnation. And that's essentially what happens to Faustus in this play. However, you could argue that the way that the play is also structured as a tragedy somewhat conflicts with this idea of Faustus's autonomy. In the morality play, whilst the Joe Boggs character is responsible for his own decisions, he's also a character who's very influenced by those around him. So the Joe Boggs character gets influenced by the vice crew who keep tempting him and leading him astray. In Dr. Faustus, we can see the same thing happening, but we also have that important question of how much Faustus is responsible for his own downfall as a tragic play sort of of necessity. By definition, it's about his choice, his hamartia, his fatal error. And in that sense, I think Marlowe does a, an amazing job of tying the tragic structure with the morality play structure because they kind of both coexist and both are simultaneously true at the same time paradoxically i know i'm overusing that word but there we go there's a sense in which um the good and bad angel the devils the seven deadly sins and the old man they all represent part of this legacy worldview from the medieval era and faustus embodies the new renaissance way of life let's push the boundaries let's find new knowledge but ultimately faustus discovers that there is no new knowledge to find that the old ways were in fact true and it proves a cautionary tale of what happens if you turn away from what you know to be true um, and if you give in to the seven deadly sins how much sin actually destroys you even when you think that you're doing exactly what you want you're actually doing exactly what the devil wants you to do now, a lot of people may argue that the picture of God in the play is not very positive. God isn't very present in the play. Only his ireful brow appears in, in Faust's final soliloquy. And he does have a vision of Christ's blood streaming in the firmament. But obviously, it doesn't seem um, 
effective because Faustus never calls on Christ enough to actually save him. And so a lot of people might suggest that Marlowe's reported atheism is, is actually shown through the rather drab view we get of holiness and God in this play. And there's definitely a case for arguing that too. But I do think at the heart of it, you can't fail to be moved by Faustus's decisions and Faustus's fate at the end of the play. I don't think you can leave the play and comfortably shake it off. And I do think that it's very powerful in that sense. So it might be worth thinking about what you think Marlowe intended to be the impact of this play, what you think Marlowe wanted the audience to feel. And it's undeniably very powerful, whichever way you want to fall. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.